This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you wake up in the morning worrying about whether or not the people working for you are doing the right thing? That they're performing at a high level, but that their conduct won't get us into any trouble. What values, tools, mechanisms can a company implement to keep its staff safe and profitable in the long run? To answer those questions, Tony Kaufman. Tony, welcome to the show. Hi, Joel. Thanks a lot for having me. Hey, those are uh, that. That's a mouthful. The, these uh, these questions. Uh, these are complicated ones. Anything dealing with people is always complicated. Uh, their behavior, what they're doing when you're not looking at them is, uh, is complicated. Um, how do you keep an eye on, on people? And, and by the way, just you, you were a senior executive with, with like the largest cruise line in the world, right? I mean, that's, that's where you come from. Right. Yep. Had a long career in the cruise industry. So you've, uh, you, you've managed thousands of people and, you know, you kind of, you raised to the, went to the highest level in that area. So how do you keep track of people when you're not watching them all the time? Like what's, what's the best way that happens? Right. Well, well, I think uh, the most important thing is to have a structure under which people understand what behaviors are expected of them. And that's when um, the whole role of culture comes into place. You think that most companies uh, are just not clear enough? I agree. I agree with that. It's really every company has a culture. It's really important, first of all, to express them and write them down. And one of the things a company can do in that respect is to agree what their purpose is. What is the purpose of the company? What is their mission, their vision and their core values? And once you start thinking about that and writing them down and communicating them, that's a really important step to creating the kind of culture and behavior that you want out of the people that are working for you. You know, I'm sure like you, like me, have read, you know, a thousand mission statements of companies and they're just blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're not really the kind of things that you couldn't you couldn't pull uh, five employees out of a company of a thousand, including the people in the C-suite and have them recite back to you what those what those uh, things are. So that's so true. OK, so if that's the case, how can we expect people to live by these things? And how, how do we how do we create things that actually live with people. I mean, that's, that seems like a big problem. Right. I, I totally agree. 100% writing them down on a piece of paper does nothing. The first thing you need to do is create a culture that actually lives by those standards. So accountability to those standards and that culture is really, really important. And, you know, a company is only as strong as its worst, is worst person. The culture is only as good as its worst person. So uh, you've got to make some tough decisions to make sure that the people that are working for you are reflecting the values that you want to reflect and, to, and make hard decisions and make sure that you are creating experiences and behaviors that follow through on your vision. You know, I, I hear you say the word creating, creating a culture. I wonder how often cultures inside companies are created deliberately or if they just evolve organically. And, you know, maybe you could comment on that, you know, whether an organic culture is the way to go or whether management directing the culture to be a certain way is the way to go. Right. Well, first of all, every company has a culture, whether it's written down or whether they know it or not. It's the behaviors of that company that really show what that culture is about. Um, so every company has an organic culture. 
And when you try and create a culture that's positive, what you need to do is tap into the existing authentic culture of that company. I agree with you. You can't just come from down from the top and say, this is our culture. You have to bring the culture out from the people and get buy into that culture and slowly start changing culture over time if that's what you need to do. So, well, let's, let's, let's talk about what the, uh, the, the, in my mind, the most amazing thing that you accomplished. And I'm sure you did a lot of incredible things in your career, but the one that I'm particularly aware of is when COVID happened, in March of 2020, uh, you know, it seems like about 20 years ago already, but it was just two years ago or so. When that happened, you were a senior executive at uh, Princess. And Princess was the line who had the ship in Japan that was first struck with COVID before any other ship had this problem. Nobody knew what to do. There was no roadmap. Uh, how did the culture play there? And how did you figure out what to do? And we got to hear this story because there's, there's no story like this story. It's, it's an amazing story. Uh, there were 4,000 people basically on a ship uh, that was quarantined in Japan and they weren't allowed off. And we had to figure out how to manage the ship and, and what to do and how it was all going to play out literally in a life and death scenario. Did you, did you actually go to Japan and go on the ship? Yeah. 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 Once, once we knew we needed to send somebody, I got on a plane and I went to Japan. I didn't go to the ship that was off limits obviously, but we had an office in Japan and I flew out there and we started the process of managing the crisis. So tell us what that was like, what, you know, I mean, there's no playbook that says, okay, when there's a pandemic, here's what you do. Well, maybe there is now, but <laughs> there wasn't uh, two years ago. There's a little bit more of a playbook, but I think what I credit with what I, what I consider to be uh, a very difficult uh, mission, but a successful one uh, was the fact that the company had core values because when you are faced with a completely new and novel situation that you've never faced before and continuing challenges come up one after the other, after the other, how do you know you're going to be making the right decision? How do, what do you use to make, to, to make a decision when there's, when you say there's no playbook and we used our core values um, that princess cruises had that so, were already well-established and known. So people could really buy into it. And so give, give us some examples of what some of those core values were, and let's talk about how you applied them into this situation. So one of the core values was um, protect. So, and that can have many meanings in, in different situations, but one, of, one uh, meaning would be protect the environment. And so when we were faced with um, questions about how we manage the operation of the ship, we were always looking to make sure that we protected the environment when we were making those decisions. Similarly, of course, with health and safety of people on board, our primary responsibility was always the health and safety. And we would never compromise on any question around what we needed to do to make sure we were doing the right thing in that situation. So, for example, money was never an object. So every single person that worked for the company knew that that was the value and that was the thing that went first. Correct. And those and, 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 and it was really important because people knew what those values were and they believed in them. And it wasn't just talking. It wasn't just something written down on paper because we had we had talked about those values for years in the past. But if you're in a situation that you need to figure out what to do and there's no playbook and you have no values and you've never talked about values before, then you, you can't really say, well, we're going to use our core values because they don't exist. And that's a situation that you don't want to be in. That's why every company, big and small, really needs to think about what their core values are so that they can, um, you know, share those with their, with their, with their people. Are, are these core values, uh, 
in many companies, many organizations, I mean, you have these kind of things, but how often are they the senior executive team's core values? They're not the company's core values. I mean, are they different? It's kind of person have core values and the company has different ones or they, do they kind of line up or how does that kind of work? Great, great question. Uh, so as I said earlier, the core values should come, as you said, organically through a process of figuring out what people believe the core values of the company are. And so they ring true, but also there's an element of core values that can be um, aspirational in a sense that, well, we do a good job in these two or three areas, but you know what? We really don't do a good job in this area, but we really want to improve. So you create a core value around taking that, that aspect and moving forward to being in a place where you aspire to be with respect to that value. So the first value is protect. Are there, are there other values? Another, another value was connect. And so connect is about being transparent with people and open. And in, and in this case, we applied that core value to the way we communicated and the way we communicate with all our stakeholders across the board. Okay, give us another, that's awesome. Give us another one. Um, another one would be, um, I'm trying to think through the ones that would be most relevant. Um, but it was a sense of doing the right thing. So all the all the all the all the values would be around um, doing the right thing in terms of what Princess Cruises stood for. And so another example would be um, making sure that we were uh, communicating correctly with the government and making sure that our relationship with the government would be one that uh, we wouldn't get ahead of the ahead of them in terms of what we were saying and what we were doing and always being in lockstep with the government because that was a critical aspect of managing that crisis as well. So, so I, I guess the first set of questions, really, or the, the question is really uh, the senior executives naturally study this material. They're thinking about this all the time, but there are, you know, a thousand of the 4,000 people on the ship you know, a thousand of them are employees. Many of them don't ever see the light of day. They're working in dark places. They don't necessarily speak our language. They're, 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 they have many very difficult jobs. Do they, do they know these values too? I mean, would you say that they really are aware of these values? Absolutely. And one of the things that a company needs to do is what I refer to as embed those core values in, in, in what, uh, in what they do. So through communications. So for example, at one point in time, Princess had a video that would go over the core values. And every time we had a big meeting or every time we would open a conference, we would play the video so that we would set the tone of that meeting um, or that conference with expressing our core values. There would be other communications that we would, we would phrase in in the context of those core values. So another core value was respect. So then if we were sending something out to our employees, we would say pursuant to, and not pursuant to, but like, you know, a core value of ours is respect. And here is how we're going to respect you. And then we would talk about the new program or something that would be coming out that would support the concept of respect. And so the, uh, like the hotel manager, the banquet manager, the people on the ship that are responsible for all these other people, uh, do they talk about these core values with their people? Are, are they taught to kind they of trickle, should, that, trickle and they that do. down? 
just for example, little things like we would we we created a card that would have the core values on the card, so they'd always have it in their pocket. Um, there would be um, there would be uh, signs of those core values all all around the ship, posters and things like that that they would remind them um, of the core values. And so it was really a process of embedding those core values and reminding everybody what those core va- core values were. And there were a number of communication programs in place that um, also discussed those core values and how you should think about those core values and how those core values would be reflected in your behavior. So you, uh, you embed these core values, you know, years in advance, not knowing what kind of crisis, because tomorrow, any day could be a crisis. You don't know what could possibly happen. Um, The crisis comes, you get the call, you have to go to Japan. How did these core values really come to life in, in that emergency situation in 2020? Yeah. So in that situation, it was a very, very scary, scary situation for everybody involved. And as we started to build the team uh, in Japan, we we needed to set up an organizational structure. So we set up an organizational structure that aligned with our emergency response organization. And then we talked about, you know, how is this going to work? When do you want to meet? How often do you want to meet? How do we communicate with each other? And then we started talking about creating a safe space. And importantly for me, it was creating, I, I tried to create as safe a space as possible for people to do really important work. Uh, I, I guess what, I, what I'd really like to understand is, you know, although the pandemic was brand new, you, you never, we never knew that could happen, or I, I never, who, who knew this, this sort of thing could happen? Most people did not. But you had an emergency response plan for many other kinds of problems. How, how well did that emergency response plan for uh, an emergency at sea or whatever other kind of thing would happen uh, was effective in dealing with this crisis? And how much had to come up on the fly? Yeah, right. It, well, it was very effective um, in the sense that it created a foundation for us to work from. So we had an organizational structure in place. We had the technology in place. We kind of knew the drill on who we needed to include, how we were going to you know, create that foundation and that organization. And then what we needed to do was bolt on the Japan organization and the emergency response that was occurring there into the bigger organization. In terms of dealing with the emergency itself, there, obviously, every emergency is different. So you can't, you have to respond to the emergency, um, you know, as it comes to you. And so there weren't known, known ways in which to respond to a pandemic, for example, or a quarantine on a ship that had never, never really happened before. But using those core values was a way to understand how we were going to frame it and always make sure that the decisions we made were reflective of those core values. And that's, that's where those really came into play in a crisis like this. What, what are some of the things, give us some examples of things maybe that you had to just come up with on the fly that, that no one ever thought of before, that wasn't in your emergency response guidebook, that, that you, you just had to say, okay, just command decision. This is, this is what we need to do uh, because we never thought about this before. What are, what are, can you give us some examples of things maybe you had yeah, never thought of before? Yeah, there are some amazing things that happened that required innovation. When they talk about using core values and a safe space, it means it means moving from a, a place of blame. You never want to have people blamed to a place of being creative and figuring out how to innovate. So for example, one of the things we needed to figure out to do, how do you feed 12,000 meals a day to the 4,000 people on board without kitchens on board the ship? How do you do that? That's never been done before. 
So what did how they do? How do you create? How do you create a disinfection contain? How do you how do you create a disinfection place where people go on and off the ship, um, you know, in a COVID protocol approved way on the pier dockside? How do you do that? How do you create a quarantine of COVID in a dormitory room? How do you do that? All these things. Can, can, how do you get prescription? So people were on the ship for two weeks. And then the prescriptions ran out. Well, now they're going to be on the ship for another two weeks. Well, how do you fill prescriptions for people from all over the world when they run out of prescriptions on board? Because they didn't bring enough, not knowing they were going to be on the ship for another two or three weeks. So all these things came up and we, we dealt with them one at a time, figuring out what to do. I mean, those are those are amazing problems. I mean, those are those are complicated problems. I mean, those are not like small time uh you know, we ran out of staples. Now we don't know what to do to put our papers together. I mean, these are really complicated problems. So how did you go about it? Did you tap a team to think about, okay, your jobs to think about this problem? How did you go about doing that? Exactly. Each of those problems would fall into one of the lines of operations. And then we would task that team with, with figuring it out. But again, always understanding that now's the time to innovate and not worry about failure. If you worry about failure or you worry about being called out or blamed for something, then you're not going to be your best. You're not going to be innovative and you're not going to know how to break through. So creating that safe space and asking people, you know, are you okay? What can I do to help? Um, How are you feeling today? Don't worry about it. We're all in this together. We're going to make it through. Actually verbalizing things that made people feel safe, allow them to innovate and and figure out um, solutions to these massive problems. What, um, which, which value, you know, is the one that most closely addresses, um, don't worry about being blamed. Don't worry. Don't, don't blame people. Don't worry about being criticized. Let's just get the ideas on the table. Which, which of the values is the one that really kind of says that? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So we, we, at one point in time, Princess had a number of different values, and then we boiled it down to three, protect, connect, and respect. And I think respect is probably the one that works best in that situation. I'm respecting their ability to do the right thing. I'm respecting their ability to, um, to tell me when things are going wrong. And I'm respecting their uh, viewpoint so that in case I start going down a wrong road, I'm open to their suggestions and I'm open for them to correct me and always telling them that, um, you know, you don't have to worry about being blamed. We're going to learn from this and anything that you have to tell me will be accepted in, in an open way so that we can work this out as a team. And when you build that team and you know, everybody's on the same page and in it together, then there's going to be no blame and there's going to be a lot of innovation that can take place. And we needed a lot of innovation to, to get through these challenges. So these core values operate at the core at the at the company level. But then you've got, what, 20 ships or more, how many ships you have? Does every ship have pretty much the same culture or is the culture a little different between ships and that variation is okay? I mean, I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So the, the concepts of the culture and the core values were the same, obviously it was the same company, but ships can differ um, in that culture. It may depend on the kind of leader, the kind of captain or the kind of leadership on the executive team and how they respond to um, constructive criticism, how they uh, uh, deal with uh, people who um, may need discipline or may need um, to be listened to rather than blamed. So uh, ships can have a different culture depending upon the people on board and the kind of the history of that culture. 
But the the challenge and the and the continuing challenge is to try and make sure that people understand how the how the company expects them to behave through con- continuously talking about the right behaviors and the right cultures and the results that the, the company expects out of various situations. You know, I'm just just thinking that um, the captain and the crew and the, the team that, that runs the ship, you know, they, they drive the ship and all this stuff. Those people are sort of military in a certain way. They're, they may be military people. Um, those don't tend to be the most touchy feely people in terms of respect other people's feelings, give them a safe space. You know, I mean, they kind of blurt out what needs to happen and they expect it to happen because that's kind of how their world works. How do you get those people to uh, to adopt a, a culture of respect and listening and you know whatever you're talking about? Just continuously talk to them about it. So we would do ship visits and we would go on board and we would talk about these concepts and 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 they could explain some of the challenges that they were having and we would uh, give them some ideas or they would give us ideas about you know how we might um, better uh, suit suit their uh, needs by providing um, different ways to deal with with different situations. So you're right. And so for example, at Princess, we would have a captain that was from England and we would have another captain that was from Italy. And those are two very different cultures. And we're all a result of the culture and the upbringing and the experiences that we have had. So you can't expect any one person to have exactly the same culture, but it's this question of how you explain, discuss, talk, and really make important and, and, and hold them accountable to those, uh, to those core values and the culture that, that is really important. And it's through discussion and things like that, that, that we try to do that. How, how did, uh, how did Princess provide training to people to, to kind of help them to go down this path? Did they bring in outside people? Did they have regular weekly meetings? I mean, what, what, what was kind of the methodology that helped everybody kind of get on the same page? Yeah, so there were a number of different mechanisms uh, through the human resources department. They had a learning and development uh, department, and they would create uh, training modules around not just the culture of the company, but the brand and what's, you know, what's expected at sea and life at sea and things like that to try and uh, bring the new people on board um, and explain to them what, you know, what their life was going to be like and, and what was expected of them. Uh, Sometimes they would use outside consultants to help them create those programs, but always, you know, obviously putting in the content, which was the content from the company and what their core values were, but using a framework provided by um, outside consultants. So, and then also within the company itself, within the operational departments, there would there would be um, a, a customer service program that would also talk about um, the the culture and um, the core values. And there would be that would be another mechanism to communicate to the crew in terms of uh, how important um, the culture was and 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 what those core values were and how to implement them. You know, I, I know you've been in other companies beside uh, beside cruise line companies. Do you have any sense about what what the big issues are that that like the listeners of our show, these senior executives of middle sized companies, what what are they dealing with that you know that can be addressed in a similar way that you're describing how you addressed your problem? Do you have any sense about that? Yeah, I think I think communication is a really, really difficult thing um, within a company. How do you create a system of communication and feedback that allows, uh, you know, the, the ownership and the senior leaders to communicate what's happening from their side and then have them get feedback from their stakeholders as to what's happening, um, you know, with them and what they're thinking about. So I think an architecture of communication is very important in terms of, again, this 
pushing out communication, but also receiving communication. And then surveys. I think surveys can be very valuable in um, engagement, employee engagement surveys or culture surveys, or depending upon what you want to tap into to find out what's going on in your company, using surveys as a way to um, bring out uh, what the what the stakeholders are thinking and feeling about the various topics of the company or how they're doing or what they wish could be changed about the company. Yeah. You know, I wonder uh, as companies grow from small to medium or medium to large, they need increasing amounts of, uh, you know, of, of discipline, like emergency response uh, management. You know, for example, when you have a playbook that tells you, you know, more or less what to do, maybe not perfectly what to do, but more or less what to do. Uh, these core values, they need to evolve over time. I mean, it just seems to me like a lot of medium-sized companies, uh, there may be an owner, there may be, you know, kind of a family that controls the business, and maybe they don't have as good a communication as they could have in a uh, in a more corporate environment where it's more professionally operated. Um, any thoughts about, about how to institutionalize the kind of things you're talking about uh, for family businesses where maybe they don't? Uh, they don't let loose quite as much. Yeah, well, I think the big the big thing about um, a controlled company like that is having the owner or the small number of people that are controlling the company understand that feedback, any kind of feedback, is a golden nugget. Because the point is not to bury your head in the sand and not want to hear what's going on, but use what you're hearing and getting back from uh, the people that work for you or your stakeholders in a positive way so that you can create an environment that um, allows the company to perform better, not worse. So it's opening up your mind, I think, to understanding how important it is to get feedback. And then, as you say, put in mechanisms to do that through surveys, through communicating openly and honestly to to your stakeholders and asking them to communicate um, honestly, back to you, whether that's through surveys, anonymous surveys, uh, newsletters that go out, um, employee programs that they can participate in to provide new and innovative ideas to the company, make them feel part of a team and make them feel part of the solution. You know, uh, we're, we're dealing with terrible uh, issues around retention and longevity. Uh, how, do these, uh, how do these core values factor in, you know, to things like retention and longevity, in your opinion? I mean, I mean, you know, is it, is it just is it just a bunch of talk or is it real? That that is such a great question. And with the new generations coming up, their expectations of work are so different and their expectations of their experience within work are so different. And so ultimately, if you can create a great culture that people really believe in. So it has to be authentic. It can't just be written down on paper, but they enjoy working for the company because their boss is a great boss. The boss has their back. The company knows where it's going. That's going to do huge amounts for retention uh, because that's a place where people really thrive and, and really want to work. If you have a culture of blame, if you have a culture um, that ignores uh, what the stakeholders and employees are saying, then they're just going to, they're going to move on. Um, and, and so putting in a real authentic culture and caring about the people that work for you is critical for the longe- longevity and success of, of employees and the company itself. Yeah. It, you know, do you think this is a, uh, do you think this is a fad or do you think it's maybe a trend, you know, that's going to last a long time? Because I, I remember when I sat, uh, when I, when I sat in my first chair at Pricewaterhouse as a youngster, as a young accountant, and no one came over and said, Joel, here are our core values. And this is how great of a company we are. Uh, that just did not happen in the 80s. Uh, maybe, maybe, 
at some point later, it's starting to happen. Uh, I mean, do you think that, uh, that this is going to last a long time or do you think this is just kind of like it's, a flash? In the it's, pan? it's going to last a long time. It's 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 go because what's happening is the new generations are are moving up and they're expecting this. So it's actually becoming part of their culture to ask, well, you want me to join your company? What is your company culture? You know, what are your goals? What is your mission statement? Why does your company exist, Joel? What does it do? What does it do for me? And I think that is going to be the new trend where people expect to understand the culture of the company and want and want to know the culture of that company before they join it. Because, you know, also the, the opportunities out there are so disparate now, uh, you know, with the internet and, and, and podcasts and, and how you can make your money by automation. So I, I really think it's important uh, for a company to, to understand this. Do you think that, that it's a different or more difficult for a company to enforce these values and really kind of help them proliferate in a world where people are working remotely? I think that uh, I think it is more difficult. I think that as people have disbanded and, and you know are just kind of talking on the computer, I think that does create some barriers to um, open and honest and authentic communication. So one of the things that I think companies need to do is really think about that and not solely rely on the uh, remote working instruments like the computer or Zoom or whatever it is that they're doing, but think through how they can create a culture even in that environment. So. Not only I'm just talking about not, not only having you know, big group meetings um, on Zoom, but thinking about even if you don't have an office, where can you meet? Where, what can you do with your team, with your stakeholders to bring them together um, so that they can talk to each other, meet people face to face, have discussions, have those water cooler kind of discussions, even though there's no water cooler anymore. So I think that is part of the communication architecture that I spoke about earlier is, you know, creating a pl- creating a way in which this culture can, can blossom and, and, and organically uh, uh, progress through meetings, through um, events, through social gatherings and things like that, that, that also help create the culture. You know, so people are meeting at the water cooler, they're talking, they're doing whatever they're doing. To what extent does the, the flavor get peppered in, you know, from the top, from the most senior executives in the company? Are, are they, are they helping to steer this in a certain way? Are they kind of, should they be keeping an eye on it saying our culture needs to be more to the right, more to the left? I mean, I mean, to what extent are they, are, are they literally supposed to direct where we go? The way that the way that senior leaders direct culture is through their behavior. And so what the senior leader needs to do is reflect the culture and the core values in their behavior, because people are very smart and people are very perceptive. And if you have a core value that says one thing, but the chief executive officer is doing another, then the whole thing falls apart. Because if, if he can ignore those core values, um, then anybody can. So just, just to take a real life example in CNN and Zucker, right? So you might have some, um, you know, a culture that really does not allow for um, romantic relationships between bosses and subordinates, because that, you know, that tends to be get very confusing. Um, and so if you have that kind of, you're creating that kind of culture where people understand that that really um, shouldn't happen, but you have a boss that is actually having that kind of relationship, then the whole kind of process and the whole core value just kind of seems to fall apart. So it's not about really, you know, saying 
um, and repeating what the core values are. It's actually, what are you actually doing? And people are very perceptive and they can see whether or not a person really believes in that core value or is just saying it. So that's, that's a big challenge is getting the senior leaders to buy in and behave in the way that the core values expect. You know, I, I got to say that uh, that probably summarizes the whole, the whole thing is that, uh, you know, deeds are more important than words and you got to have actions that match what the, uh, what the values are. And that, uh, that's awesome. And, uh, you have uh, certainly delivered on the promise of the show, which is uh, the best, smartest, fastest way to uh, to get something done. The inside track, and that's that's really all. This is this has really been the inside track to building great culture and and really a great company. And we call people who uh, who deliver on that promise. We call those advantage players, and that makes you an advantage player for uh, for delivering that to us. And I, and I certainly appreciate you sharing. Uh, you know, you have deep wisdom from, from an experience that probably no one else on this planet has practically ever had. I mean, you take crisis management to a different level for sure. So, uh, thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate having you. Thanks Joel. It's been great. Thanks a lot. Appreciate Good. It. And your, your contact information, if anybody wants to talk about how to install this sort of thing in their company, it'll be right in the show notes. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the Inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.